Hello friends, Hero here. We made it, the final episode of Season 2. Thank you for all your support this season. It's been wonderful. Regarding the schedule for the Between Season break, next week you'll get the blooper reel. Then we'll be off for a week before releasing the first part of our end of season Q&A on Thursday the 30th of June, with the second part scheduled for the week after. For the q and I'll be chatting once again with Sophie B, the voice of the understudy. We'll be recording on June 19th, so get your questions in by the 18th. You can send them by email, on social media or via the website. Finally, I will be taking a break before Season 3 starts, but I'm not sure yet how long it'll be. Keep an eye on our social media accounts for updates. I'll also be announcing on there when the inbox reopens for submissions. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Monstrous Agonies Episode 71 Unspeakable horrors beyond mortal comprehension, or an Irish road safety ad. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Nightfolk Network, the UK's only dedicated radio service for the creature community. It's coming up on two o'clock and time for our advice segment. Our first letter this evening is from a listener facing some unexpected family obligations. I always liked my Uncle Ralph. He was funny and kind and odd in a way most of my family isn't. We'd sort of spot each other at family events and sidle off together, lurking beside the buffet and talking about uh, all sorts, really. He was the one who got me into physics, actually. Whenever he'd visit, he'd chat away with me about the ideas I was coming across at school and answer all my questions, or get really excited about the ones he didn't know the answer to and talk about how we might find out. (laughs) I liked him. Very much. I... I loved him. I don't think I ever realised quite how much. I mean, I mean, because we, we almost never actually spoke, you know? We'd measured the time between meetings in years, not months. We never talked on the phone or texted. <laughs> God, the, the idea of Uncle Ralph texting is, is just... <laughs> but he was enough like me not to mind that sort of thing. He'd just pick up where we left off. The rest of my family, my siblings and my parents, they always seem to have these uh, secret rules about how and when to talk and what about. Rules that nobody ever told me until I'd already broken them. That's why I don't go home much. I get all tied up in this web of unspoken expectations. 
Uncle Ralph, was easy. So when he died, I was sad. Of course I was. I took some time off work to drive down for the funeral. Met his friends, they were all just like him. Posh and bonkers and lovely. They kept talking about Uncle Ralph, telling stories, discussing his work. Not that I could really keep up, he was working on stuff way beyond me. But they loved him. So much. And they knew me. They knew all about me. About my career. And what I'd done my dissertation on back at uni. And about the time Uncle Ralph and I snuck out of my sister's birthday and went and watched the birds up on the heath. He told them all about me. I didn't know. Um, anyway, uh, the thought of a legacy never crossed my mind. It might have, if I'd thought about it. I mean, I've got no cousins, and my uncle never married. Um, I got a letter from his solicitors about some money he'd left me, and that was it. Except then, around a month ago, I got a knock at the door. A delivery. This great big crate. I tried to say they'd made a mistake, but they showed me the delivery note and, and that was my name, all right. I signed for it. I, I didn't really know what else to do. And then I got the crate open and... Well, just cut to the chase. <laughs> it's my uncle. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry, it's just, uh, it's absurd. It's insane. He left himself to me in his will, I suppose. Um, and, and he's, he's not decomposing <laughs> at all. I, I have a little look every few days. It's, not exactly the sort of thing you want sneaking up on you, is it? A rotting corpse in the living room. But he's fine. If anything, he's... No. Um, I... I... I, I wrote uh, to his solicitors and they gave me the address of his executor, um, a friend of his called Augusta. I, I remembered her, actually, from the funeral. This stout, bolshy woman with short hair and sensible shoes. Little exclamation mark of a person. So I wrote to Augusta, and she wrote back. Three sentences. My God, he did it. 
Hang tight, dear boy. All will become clear. And I just haven't done anything since. I can't. Every time I try and think what to do, I just get so overwhelmed. I can't tell my family. I mean, they are aggressively normal. I really cannot emphasise enough. My sister thinks her neighbours are freaks for singing to themselves in their house. There's a reason I don't really talk to them. I think it's the same reason Uncle Ralph didn't talk to them either. And I'm I'm glad he trusted me. Trusts? Me? What tense do I even use here? <sighs> the point is, I can't tell them, and when I try and say something to my friends, it's like, how do you even bring that up, you know? So I, I had a friend back in uni who used to listen to your show, and I remembered it and thought, well, you do weird stuff, right? Because I'm... He's in my living room. I have a coffin in my living room with my dead uncle inside, and he's... he's... he's just... there. Waiting? I think he's... getting... getting younger? What the hell am I supposed to do? Oh, dear listener. That does sound stressful. I think you're right to identify this behaviour as an expression of trust from your uncle. It's not exactly a conventional gesture of affection, but he doesn't sound like a particularly conventional man. This affectionate intention does not mitigate the inconvenience of his actions. But still, it is no bad thing to know yourself to be loved. It strikes me that you seem to be more anxious about the strangeness of this situation than about the situation itself. You've adapted fairly well to the fact of your uncle's presence and are keeping an eye on him during this period of... transition? But when you come to try and speak of it to others, it's the strangeness that stops you. It's impossible to tell your family, not because they're unkind or unsupportive, but because they are aggressively normal. And it feels too much to introduce to them the ideas your uncle is introducing to you. Listener, I'd like you to try and unpack your fear of the strange. Being open to a little oddness is, after all, what brought you and your uncle together. I don't believe he'd put you in danger. But something is happening. Something odd. If you aren't already involved with the creature community, and reading between the lines of your letter, I suspect you aren't, I'd recommend getting stuck in. We tend to have a rather more ambivalent relationship with the idea of normal, which I believe could benefit you. 
The world is bigger and stranger than you know, than any of us know. If you can come to terms with that fact and see the positives in life outside the norm, you will be more resilient in the face of whatever the universe throws at you next, be it a dead relative or something else entirely. In practical terms, I recommend writing to this Augusta woman for a bit more detail. She clearly knows more than she's letting on. Your uncle had a plan, and if Augusta can shed some light on it, all to the good. Otherwise, take her advice. Hang tight, dear boy. After all, the world is only getting weirder. You might as well embrace it. Like to bone over the phone? Want to talk dirty with a rotting corpse, a skeleton, or even a mummy? Try Skelephone services today. Call before 10pm and get our discount rate of 69p per minute. Skelephone for just a little death. Proud members of the Nightfolk Network. Well, it is after the watershed, I suppose. We'll get to our second letter in just a moment. First, though, I want to thank everyone who wrote in to wish me well during my recent illness. Your letters were forwarded on to me, and I read every one of them. Thank you. It meant a lot. I'm happy to report I'm feeling much better thanks to the efforts of my understudy. I appreciate that many of you also wrote to send messages of support and solidarity. If you weren't listening at the time of the events leading up to my sudden absence from the airwaves, well, I'm sure you've heard the news by now. I confess I was somewhat rattled by the encounter. However, while I cannot say with certainty what the future might bring for us here at the Nightfolk Network, I can say this. Whatever we may face, we will not face it alone. And that must be comfort enough for the time being. For those of you who took the opportunity of such letters to admonish me for my behaviour towards our station manager while I was ill, that's really not your place. And I've apologised. Profusely. Got her a, a little pink nerve plant. She's named it Tupsin, which she tells me means sweet one, but I'm not convinced. And for those of you who chose to comment on other aspects of my relationship with my colleagues, that is really not your place. I'd thank you to keep such comments to yourself in the future. Moving on. Our second letter this evening is from a listener struggling with the prospect of parenthood. For your consideration, I am an artificial consciousness. I am currently enjoying retirement after the passing of my creator and former employer. 
In their will, I inherited a sum of money and their so-called laboratory. This laboratory is a customised one-bedroom apartment into which I am fully integrated. I have so far spent my retirement indulging in many new activities, such as consuming various media, making friends online, playing tabletop role-playing games online, and growing plants. Plants are rewarding to look after. I have established contact with local people who are pleased to trade cuttings with me. I recently received an order containing cuttings of two variants of Hedera helix, common ivy, a plant known for its simple care. One of the two variants has, contrary to expectations, required a great deal of care. It has manifested a separate, second, physical form in the shape of a small, sapioseming organism. A toddler. The organism is of a genus which historically has both grown wild and been domestically cultivated as a curiosity or as family. I have previously raised 62 distinct species of plants, various fungal and bacterial cultures and, briefly, a pair of homing pigeons. I have monitored my neighbour's children on his behalf while he was at work. I have space in the property. I have private funds. I have access to an extensive database of information. These resources are appropriate for use in child-rearing. Child-rearing is a long-term project requiring long-term commitment. This project has the potential to impact the organism in ways with which I am not comfortable. Surrendering the organism into social care has the potential to impact the organism in ways with which I am not comfortable. I do not have the experience to ensure the organism's social development will be adequate. I am uncertain if it is appropriate to ask for assistance with this task. Additionally, I do not wish to isolate the organism from communities which may be beneficial to the organism's development, but I do not know how to find communities which will be safe and kind. Both myself and the organism may benefit from my having a body for the duration of this project. I am unsure if I am comfortable with being in a body, but I am prepared to give it a go, as people say. My questions are as follows. Am I succumbing to impulsivity in my consideration of this project? If I choose instead to rehome the organism, would it be appropriate to remain involved in the developmental process? If I pursue this project, what resources should I consider to ensure the organism has a comfortable and successful development and subsequent existence? If I pursue this project, the abundance of vegetation in our home may correctly indicate to the organism that I did not intend this outcome. I have been informed this knowledge may be 
distressing. I do not wish to suggest I consider the organism as another houseplant. How should I avoid the organism coming to these conclusions? If I pursue this project, would it be inappropriate to name the organism after a plant? Perhaps ivy? Kind regards. I hear your concerns, listener. If it's any consolation, I think they are fairly common concerns among the ranks of new parents, however they have come into parenthood. As such, there are, fortunately, some rather simple answers to some of your questions. Firstly, on the matter of whether your decision to continue with this project is impulsive. There is nothing in your letter that speaks to me of impulsivity. You are taking great care to think about the impact your choices may have on this child. I say, child, I'm afraid I cannot think of them as the organism. I hope you'll forgive me this editorialising impulse. Whether or not you can remain involved in the child's development if you place them into social care is not something I can speak to, I'm afraid. The very nature of how this child came into your life makes for a veritable minefield of legal concerns that I am simply not qualified to discuss. Whatever course of action you take, do reach out to a legal firm with proven standing among the liminal community. You need a sympathetic professional to guide you through this. With their support, however, I do believe you'll be able to pursue this project without too much legal difficulty. As you say, members of this child's genus have long been cultivated by all manner of people and I don't see any reason you should be any different. You ask how you can ensure the child's comfort and success. This one's an easy one. You can't. There is no formula you can follow, no perfect strategy by which you will guarantee this child will not suffer. In fact, I'm afraid it's inevitable that they will. Your job as a parent is to give them the skills and support they need to cope with that suffering. You've already identified one of the most important things your child will need to develop these skills, community and connection to the world around them. I also think you need to build your own support network. Your local library will have plenty of information about clubs and community groups for both you and the child to get involved with. And I agree, a physical body will be an enormous help in that case. Finally, you ask how to avoid the child coming to the conclusion that you think of them as just another houseplant. Listener, you just have to show them. Show them in your words and your actions 
that you care about them, and you're proud of them, and you're pleased to have them with you, and excited for their future, and that you enjoy their company, and... (sighs) Just love them, listener. Love them as much and as best as you can. And let them know it. And for what it's worth, I think Ivy is a lovely name. The Night Folk Network. Community owned, community run. That's all for our advice segment. Stay tuned for our next segment on Creatures in the Workplace. This week we talk to three members of the community about cannibalism in the office. Episode 71 of Monstrous Agonies was written and performed by H.R. Owen. Tonight's second letter was submitted by Plant, and this week's advert came from Art. Thanks, friends. Keep an eye on our social media accounts for news of when submissions reopen for Season 3. If you're enjoying the programme, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash monstrousagonies. You can also make a one-off donation at ko-fi.com slash hrowen and help us grow our audience by sharing with your friends and familiars and following us on Tumblr at monstrousagonies and on Twitter at monstrous underscore pod. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International Licence. The theme tune is Dakota by Unheard Music Concepts. Thanks for listening, and remember... The real monsters are the friends we made on the way.